electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be able to make friends just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. If the consumer is confident, then I'm confident, at least about business. We are a consumption-based economy in this country. Two-thirds of our commerce revolves around the consumer. So what matters most is whether the consumer is tapped out, fatigued, worried, or just still spinning their darn full head off. Right now, you can feel the confidence of someone draining out of the system. Even on a pretty good day for the market, where the Dow advanced 336 points, S&P gained 1.65%, and the Nasdaq jumped 2.14%. What a comeback from an hour before the close. Lack of confidence is behind the run on this regional banks issue, and don't kid yourself. These are actual runs. Lack of confidence is behind the big decline in retail spending. Those numbers have just been awful. We're out of confidence when it comes to commercial real estate. I fear we're going to see a massive retreat from those office towers as few executives seem willing to force people back to work in person. Of course, though, there's still big pockets of confidence, and we got plenty of them. We've just got some good numbers from a small business confidence index this morning. They're still confident about their prospects. We know that housing and autos are still humming. And travel, it seems it goes to no end. I call that the long on money, short on time trade. As people looked into the abyss of post-COVID and decided, damn the savings, let's go somewhere. (laughs) It's an extremely full plane. Let's live it up. So as long as we can, because life is too short. No wonder airline ticket prices increased 6.4% this morning. That was the most pernicious part of today's otherwise, let's say, benign, tolerable consumer price index. Perhaps more important as a chart that I saw, a chart that really kind of blew my mind. It was from Katie Huberty. She used to cover Apple. She pointed out from her perch now as Morgan Stanley's global director of research, a chart which shows that, and I quote, consumption has been resilient, but shifts in how consumers fund spending may augur a slowdown, end quote. Or in English, based on new data, it looks like consumers have spent their excess savings that they have from COVID. And that means, quote, consumption is set to soften in coming quarters. 
Uberty notes the credit card usage, quote, has risen across the board, indicating that it is not only subprime borrowers tapping into the line of credit to fund spending, end quote. And that, 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 that's worse. See, if the consumer gets tapped out and confidence wanes further because of things like what happened with the banks last week, then the Fed can't afford to continue raising interest rates. That's good. We're still not seeing the massive layoffs that the Fed wants to crush wage inflation. We're still paying some absurd prices at the supermarket. Even as the new CPI showed uh, the poultry beef finally leveling off. Now, don't tell that to my wife, who paid a buck eighty-seven each for four Honeycrisp apples at Target this afternoon. Highway robbery. But which highway? The Apple Company? Target? Both? I'm focused on confidence, though, because that's at the heart of the most important issue facing this market, the rise and fall and possible rise again of the regional banks. The regionals rallied big at the opening as a senior Treasury official told our own CNBC Steve Leisman that there's an implicit guarantee that depositors will make completely whole at any bank that fails. Now, I've seen many a bank failure in the 40 years since I got in this business. This is the first time I've seen actual deposit gigantic outflows, with the exception of the Great Recession. What we're seeing now are indeed old-fashioned bank runs, but with a modern twist. In my lifetime, bank runs usually stem from having from the firm not having enough equity on its balance sheet. They don't have enough capital at the company level. This time, it's about deposit flight, kind of like what we saw in It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, where the Bailey building alone almost fails, and actually, you know, that scary dream sequence that really does. Yet, because of the ease with which deposits can go from one bank to another, thanks to modern online banking platforms, it's quite easy to wipe out a regional bank with a few well-placed tweets and some cell phones. And that happened! Sure, there are lines around the block for ATMs, but there's also billions fleeing through the touch of a screen. I think it's worth dwelling on this point because we got a nice reprieve today. I'm going to be beaten down and bedraggled regional banks. So nice rebounds. Not back to where they were, though. I'm still concerned that our newfound lack of confidence in the banking system, coupled with the tapped out consumer that Katie Ubery talked about, makes it imperative for the Federal Reserve to pause after it raises interest rates by a quarter point next week. That's the expected plan. Don't want to deviate from that plan. That shows to be fearful. Look, I have been close watch this show. Know this. There are a bigger supporter in this country of Jay Powell. Our Fed chief. I have been with him the whole way in his quest to beat back inflation because that's how you destroy the power of the savings of the working person. Until last week, I figured he had to take rates to 6% to get this done. I thought that would be prudent, and I said so on air. But you know what? I now believe it would be reckless if Powell goes much beyond 5%, at least now, where we'll be with another quarter point rate hike because what I saw last week. I think confidence has been deservedly shaken by these bank failures, and it's time to take pause. We don't have enough information to say that deposits are safe in any given regional bank, because right now it depends on how that bank bonds are doing. I mean, how's their portfolio situated? Not something you want to consider when you say, oh, gee, I want to know if I should put my money in that bank. How's their held to maturity? How's their helpful service? We don't do that in this country. If they have losses on their bonds and the ratings agencies or the examiners question their portfolios, well, you might not get your money back at least as fast as you'd like, there may not be enough confidence left to stay put. Maybe you take your money out of your bank altogether. That hurts national lending. Now, you could, you could say, who cares? There are plenty of groups that don't might have much exposure to the broader economy. Hey, maybe you like tech. But go read Mark Zuckerberg's incredible epistle where he nailed on the meta platform's door today. There are more layoffs coming in tech. He's at the vanguard. He's got horse sense. I like tech. 
But I'm not oblivious to how economically sensitive this industry's become. I think they're rallying because the market's oversold. These stocks look cheap if inflation's under control. And when it comes to the Fed's next move, do you think that they'll take into account the coming layoffs from Silicon Valley? As hundreds of startups may have just had their lifelines pulled by the collapse of the Silicon Valley Bank? I don't know. There are cross currents everywhere. We know housing's still strong. Saw a fantastic set of numbers this very evening from Kramer Fave Lenar, the giant national home builder. Monster top and bottom line beat while giving us some stronger than expected forecasts for orders and deliveries in the current quarter. While that's great for Lenar, it's, it's actually not what Jay Powell wants to see. Housing's just refusing to roll over and play dead. And that's because of a structural issue. We don't have enough homes being bought or, or, or for sale to do so. It's not really trading as much with mortgage rates as it used to. On the other hand, commercial real estate, at least the second and third tier buildings, getting clobbered. In large part because few CEOs besides Zuckerberg have the guts to say that people must come back in person every day. Well, he said kind of made it sound like if you don't come every day, it's not, you may not have a seat at the job. But that's what's killing the real estate investment trusts that own these tertiary towers. So now, for a second, what I want to do is I want to put it all together to sum it up so you really understand why we could rally and yet why I'm concerned. Until last week's banking fiasco, I think Jay Powell was losing the war against inflation. Losing it! But the collapse of some highly visible banks, the fault that could cause the folding of a great number of startups, and the possible tap out of the consumer consumer as savings seem to be ending, and now spending is actually from what you have when you make it money, that means credit card debt, makes me feel that the plane is on the cusp of a soft, safe landing. Bottom line, we don't want the Fed to turn a potential soft landing into a hard one just because some jacked-up airline ticket prices, a couple sticky home costs, and yes, a few rotten apples selling for buck eighty nine a throw. Chris in Ohio, Chris. Hey, Jim. Great to good to talk to you. I've been watching, been a fan of your show for years. I have a question oh, about Huntington you, Bank. Buddy. I have a question All about right. Huntington Bank. I think that Huntington Bank at eleven dollars is a buy. I think that Steve Steinauer is doing incredibly well as a CEO. I think it's what I call BAU, which means business as usual, with a 5.6% yield. I think that this is one that I was, uh, that I, I, if we didn't have financials for the travel trust, I would indeed buy some of this because it's down, down almost 30% in the last month. It's a well-run bag. No outflows to speak of last week. Let's go to David in Virginia. David. Booyah, Professor Kramer. I hope you're doing well. We need to hear from you during these times. Uh, thank you, buddy. Sure. Hey. You know, I was going to take a little more time off, but it seems to be ill-placed, but I'll get there. What's up? Hey, news reports that uh, Boeing has reached a deal with Saudi Arabia for up to 121 airplanes and also in talks with Japan for sales of their 737 MAX. Is now a good time for me to add to my holdings in Boeing? Yes. Dave Calhoun was terrific today. Philip Bo interviewed him. I really like what's happening at Boeing. It hurts me. I, my child trust sold it. But you got to own your mistakes. This one I should have held up to all the way because it's going to make a big comeback. All right, we don't want the Fed to turn a potential soft landing into a hard one. 
Now, on Mad tonight, we got Honeywell. They just announced a new executive succession plan, a little surprising. I'm learning more about what investors can expect in the future from the company's outgoing and incoming CEO. Then on Sunday, various government agencies stepped to a, they tapped into this thing, uh, uh, all these different acronyms. Well, tonight I'm going into what the nitty-gritty really was. You need to know this stuff. And could chemical giant Lion WZL give your portfolio the reaction investors would hope for? Nice yield there. I'm talking to the company's top brass, fresh off its capital markets day. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Today we've got a really major announcement from one of the world's largest industrials, Honeywell which we own for the Chapel Trust. You can follow by joining the CBC Invest Club. One of the first stocks we ever bought. Honeywell revealed that Chairman CEO Darius Adamchet, who took over in 2017, will be passing on the CEO title effective June 1st. His replacement is Vimal Kapoor. He's a 34-year Honeywell veteran, certainly not coming from left field, current president and COO, who's been integral to the company's optimization strategy. So what does it all mean for the business? Tonight, we're lucky enough to have both of them. Darius Damchek, the chairman and outgoing CEO, who will become executive chair and will be active. And CEO Vimal Kapoor, who on the heels of the presentation of this terrific J.P. Morgan Industrials Conference earlier today, really has a great story to tell. Gentlemen, welcome to Mad Money. 
Thanks. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Right, well, first, Darius, it's bittersweet. I've really enjoyed uh, both your person and how much money you've made for shareholders. It's been a remarkable period. Uh, and I want people to understand why you're stepping up to, to executive chairman, because there's some soul searching involved here. Oh, sure. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's always a tough decision, but I think the timing uh, was right. There's a lot of things that are, are going well. First of all, most importantly, Vimo was ready. I mean, he's a, he's a person who's been here for 34 years. He's uh, ran half of Honeywell. Um, he's been COO for the last nine months. Um, and there comes a time where it's his time and he's done everything that he needs to do to be CEO. The second part, which is really important, is that Honeywell is in a great spot. We're well positioned. We've transformed the company over the course of the last seven years. And, uh, and it's well positioned and he's going to take it to the next level. And, and, you know, frankly, on a personal level, uh, you know, I want to find a little more balance in my life. You know, I've, I've uh, I think I've put into work and it's yeah. been great work and I've, it's, a, it's an honor and a privilege to run Honeywell. But at some point, you've got to find a little more balance in my life. Yeah, let me know how that goes, because I'm struggling with the balance <laughs> issue. We're all trying. Okay, Vim, you're inheriting the company. Massive firepower. Unbelievable balance sheet. And uh, you know I knew Dave Cody, a, a company that got rid of businesses that had their day and picked up businesses that are going to have their day. Mm-hmm. Do you like the mosaic as it is? Look, I think uh, I have a harder task compared to Darius because he's leaving a great franchise behind. So I would say the mosaic is in good shape. There are always elements of it which we can look at it differently. And that's the work we are both going to do in the next three months, look at our portfolio and really take some calls on what we need to do differently. But on a whole basis, I think our portfolio is in a very good shape. So I was at Dave Cody's going away party. He happened to be my next door neighbor. Okay, I know it's not about friends, it's about money, but when the guy's your next door neighbor, you got to be good neighbors, right? <laughs> and he said to Darius, "It's all yours. Do what you want." And holy cow, did Darius do what he wanted? Are there some things you were close to Darius that you really want to double down on, perhaps because they're very exciting? Yeah, I think I have a lot of passion for sustainability. And uh, Honeywell has a great position in sustainability in its portfolio across all segments. And I think given the compelling need we all have uh, you know, to do something about climate change, Honeywell is going to do a lot more in that. We will do things organically, and if we think the right things, we will find things inorganically too. So that excites me a lot. I think it's something we do well and something uh, I have personally a lot of passion for. Right now, I know our viewers want a balance of sustainability and also some cycles that are incredibly powerful. Darius, you have positioned this company for the aerospace cycle, which obviously has very little to do with the saving, with the banking crisis, very little to do with where the Fed is, because obviously Saudi Arabia orders big, China has a lot of planes they need. Aerospace in great shape for how many years? For the for the distant future. I see the next five years at least to be terrific years in aerospace. I mean, the, the, the disruption in 2020 really created a, a runway for aerospace, which is going to go on. I mean, I, and that's based on facts. I mean, if you take a look at our backlog and the kind of growth rates we're seeing, now we're starting to see more of the unlock in the supply chain. I'm very confident in the runway that we have in, in aerospace for many years. And that's across all three segments air transport, business aviation, um, as well as defense and space. So when I look at uh, aerospace, I love it so much. And then I start thinking to myself, well, we're getting dragged down here by safety and productivity solutions, although the margins, because you were always unbelievable getting margins, margins are good. And I'm wondering, I know you want to do some bold ones, 
Uh, do you do more aerospace or is aerospace kind of all picked over and it's better to spend more time working on performance uh, performance materials and technologies? See, from a portfolio perspective, I think our options, the good news is we have four segments and we have options in all four. Uh, so we're going to look at things which progresses our portfolio, more of a bolt-on type. So I think that's where I focused on. I think aerospace portfolio is very rich. Amount of offerings we have, that puts us in a pretty strong position. So making a case for any acquisition there is lower compared to other parts of our portfolio. Sensors is a great, exciting place for Honeywell. Sustainability technology is a great, exciting place. A lot to do more on automation and software. So there's a lot of uh, things to go after. Doesn't mean we will not go after anything material in aerospace. But in relative scheme of things, other looks much more attractive. The company's been very disciplined. And we've heard many, many times in the last three years, things have gotten too expensive. Things are too expensive. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, perhaps it's the old trader in me, I say, you know what? It's so expensive, I'm willing to sell it. Is it possible that you just say, you know what? We can't get to scale in some of these businesses. They're paying that much. We'll take advantage of them. And we'll sell them. Whatever means sense for our shareholders, I guess that's a principle we follow. So right. if there's a good deal for our shareholders, Everything is uh, open. For In the meantime, with the stock down here, come on at 90. Don't you want to just buy as much as possible? Possible, absolutely. We, we believe in our stock. We think uh, Honeywell stock is in a great position. Uh, we're going to have strong 2023. We've guided and we're going to meet our guide. Uh, we think we have a pretty strong 24 ahead of us. So if we don't find a good M&A deal, I think share buyback is a great option. And I want to be sure that people realize that you're not just checking out. Executive chairman means that you will be involved even in some of these acquisitions. No, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's one of the areas of focus for me is to help Vimo uh, uh, drive some of the M&A. I mean, there's a lot to do. And, and you're spot on. I mean, when we think about M&A, it's not just acquisitions, it's also portfolio shaping, always making the quality of the portfolio batting better, adding things that are well aligned to mega trends and growth and potentially subtracting things that maybe aren't as aligned to some of the Honeywell uh, attributes. So that's, uh, I'm looking forward to that next chapter and working with Vimo. We've worked together for 11 years, so not a lot of mystery. There's not a lot of mystery here. Well, so. I had an inkling when both of you were coming on that I might hear this, and I have to tell you that I will dearly miss you because you've done a remarkable job and doing exactly what Dave said, Dave Cody, take advantage, take the stuff, and you, you did sell some businesses at their high and bought some businesses at their low and always did what's right for shareholders. So I want to thank Darius and Damchek from My Charitable Trust and all our followers, Chairman and Outgoing CEO, and Vimal Kapoor, who's the new guy, President CEO and incoming CEO of Honeywell, but by the way, COO for many, many years, not coming out from the blue. Man, money's back in for the Coming up. Kramer studies the regulator response to the SBB fallout. Is the capital rising to the occasion? Find out next. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. 
We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Last night, we spent a lot of time talking about what I'm hoping we'll look back on as the regional banking crisis that never was. Because various government agencies stepped in on Sunday to cushion the blow from the collapse of that bank called Silicon Valley Bank, and then the crypto-focused Signature Bank. But we mainly just addressed the impact of these moves. I didn't put it in context. So tonight, I want to get in a little bit of the weeds and explain what exactly happened when the Treasury Department, the Federal Reserve, and the FDIC together took action to pop up the financial system this weekend because the details matter here. And unfortunately, those details are full of authentic Wall Street gibberish that do not inspire confidence. So what exactly is the government doing to put out this financial wildfire that came out of nowhere last week? Okay, first, the FDIC announced that they'd be making all depositors whole at Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank. And that means even those balances above the $250,000 threshold that you and I would get, that's what the FDIC insurance coverage is supposed to stop. Now, this is an implicit bailout, I guess you can use that word, for many startups, venture capital firms, and crypto scofflaws who had multiple millions of dollars in individual accounts. So needless to say, it was a controversial move. But I don't blame the FDIC for going there. Immediately after SVB was seized on Friday, we started worrying what would happen to the depositors who weren't able to get out fast enough during the bank run. A lot of these are sizable corporate customers, and there was a fear that many of them might not be able to make payroll later this week, causing all sorts of horrific spillover effects. So the government wanted to contain the damage from these bank failures, and they're doing it without your money. Yeah, no taxpayer money by relying on the FDIC's reserves. So don't fret. Crucially, though, the FDIC only promised to do this for depositors in two, two banks, SVB and Signature Bank. That's that one that's kind of cryptoid bank in the East. Well, it seems pretty clear that the Biden administration wants to give people the impression that they set a new precedent here. They're implying your deposits will be safe anywhere. The fact is, there's no explicit system-wide guarantee. It's not in writing. When you look at the statement from the Treasury Department, they repeatedly said your deposits are safe. They didn't say insured or guaranteed. I mean, it's not like Marathon Man, but uh, I'd like a little more. Now, if the situation deteriorates, it's possible we do get an explicit, not implicit, guarantee on all deposits, no matter how large. The FDIC effectively did that on a temporary basis in 2008. They probably won't go that far this time. But if we see another major bank failure, maybe one of these regional banks that sold their stocks get cut in half yesterday but bounced back big today, well, they could guarantee 100% of those deposits again, one by one by one, which would set a strong enough precedent to hopefully prevent more bank runs. Like, if you knew that they were going to stop and paid depositors every single time, you'd stop pulling your money out. And this is about trying to stop pulling your money out. Next, the second more significant uh, announcement from the government on Sunday. The Federal Reserve rolled out a new lending facility, and it's called the Bank Term Funding Program, or BTFP, if you're really desperate for another acronym. Remember, remember how Silicon Valley Bank collapsed in part because they invested in longer-term bonds 
that were underwater. They went down in price, up in yield, thanks to the Fed's ruthless rate hikes. They then took huge losses when they were forced to sell those bonds to raise capital. The Fed doesn't want that happening again. So they're willing to make very advantageous loans against underwater U.S. Treasury gov- uh, Treasuries, government guaranteed paper, agency debt, meaning bonds from government-sponsored organizations like Fannie or Freddie Mae, uh, and some mortgage-backed securities. Remember, they're willing to lend against them at a higher price than they are. Can you imagine that if they lend against your house at a higher price than your house was worth? Again, this is nothing like the financial crisis where banks loaded up on high-risk collateralized debt obligations guaranteed by nobody. Silicon Valley Bank and Silvergate invested in extremely high-quality assets. They didn't screw that up, mostly talking about treasuries, government guaranteed bonds. Virtually zero default risk here. Because the Fed raised interest rates so quickly, the longer-term bonds plummeted in price. Again, high-quality bonds can still go down in price. Normally, that wouldn't matter because if you hold these securities to maturity, held to maturity, you might have heard that, you get your money back. But because SVB and Silvergate saw the deposits vanish so quickly, they were forced to sell those bonds at the market price and lock in these losses. And that only destroyed confidence in both the institutions causing the bank runs. The rapid wiring out of funds to save for institutions on a grand scale. These guys are out of money. So now the Fed's got a program where they'll lend against these underwater bonds as though they're not underwater for up to a year. It's kind of chimerical, but it'll work because it's the government. That way, struggling regional banks won't be forced to sell their bonds at a loss anymore. That causes the run. Hey, look, at the same time they had this thing, and this is another one, yet I've studied it for I was at Goldman for like three years. I finally understood it. The Fed's discount window, where they offer cheap, easy liquidity overnight, will begin valuing collateral the same way as the bank term funding program. The question is, will it work? Will this be enough? Can these moves get us through this crisis of confidence in the regional banks? i got to tell you, I'm cautiously optimistic, especially after the stocks that were obliterated yesterday raised huge chunks of losses today, and some of those shouldn't have been down as much. But you also need to understand the limitations of what the government announced. Everything they did this weekend was designed to inspire confidence for you. Inspire confidence that you'll stay put, something that is sorely needed, as I mentioned at the top of the show. While guaranteeing everybody's deposits at SVB and Signature Bank doesn't mean much by itself, it's huge if it can restore confidence in the regional banks and prevent additional runs, prevent you from taking your money out. This is how the smarter financial regulators always, always operate. For example, during the COVID crash in March of 2020, the Fed announced they begin buying corporate bonds. That's an extraordinary step. That was designed to backstop businesses struggling to stay afloat while the nation was under lockdown. But you know what? Interestingly enough, because of confidence, the Fed never ended up buying much corporate debt because just making the announcement was enough to unfreeze the bond market, make people feel more confident, allowing even trouble companies to pull off regular bond offerings to kept them afloat, like Carnival, which was like the epicenter of the whole epidemic. Of course, the new BTFP program does have its own limitations. This lending facility doesn't necessarily save banks from having to take losses on bonds currently underwater if they're forced to sell them somewhere down the line. It just buys them a year's worth of time to do what? To raise capital. And how do you raise capital? To sell common stock, typically huge gobs of stock. And it may be at discounted prices. That's what people are worried about. You get their houses in order. The thing is, times everything in these situations is the difference between Uh, between the stock taking a big hit and the entire bank going under. And believe me, we want the former. Now, there's one more extremely helpful change that's got nothing to do with the government. As a result of the mini banking crisis over the past week, we've seen a flight to quality where investors are putting their money into the safest pieces of paper out there, namely pure and simple U.S. treasuries. That pushes the prices up and the yields down. Hey, this is gigantic because for Alphas, whose bond portfolios look like Silicon Valley banks, they're now substantially less underwater. While it's only been two days since the government took action, I gotta say, so far, so good. We still don't know the full extent of the damage here. 
So we'll have to wait and see. We've got to see if that Silicon Valley Bank catches a buyer in this auction. But right now, I'm applauding the Fed, the Treasury Department, the FDIC for acting so swiftly. Again, we don't have enough clarity yet. I keep emphasizing that because we, there are still a lot of question marks. But as long as the Federal Reserve eases up on the commitment to ruthless rate hikes next week, it's possible that we're out of the woods. Bottom line, what the Fed, Treasury, and the FDIC did this weekend wasn't perfect, was elegant. But it's the solution that protects the mostly innocent depositors in these failed banks while still cramming down the shareholders. They get nothing and hurting the executives and blowing up the whole operation without costing taxpayers to die. Pretty good for government work. I'm taking calls. I'm going to go to John in Colorado. John. Hello, Jim. A big booyah from Boulder, Colorado, where it's 60 degrees and sunny today. I love Boulder so much. I I, I love those those mountains behind Chautauqua. Wow. Good climbing. What's going it's on? Beautiful. Yeah, a longtime viewer, first time caller, and happy investing club member. And I really oh, appreciated okay. the extra long investing club morning meeting yesterday. We needed that. Oh, uh, we have to do that stuff. We, we work for you, my friend. Thank you. Uh, from listening to you in the past, I've learned that the payroll companies, such as Paychex and ADP, are beneficiaries of higher interest rates with their ability to generate increased revenue from the higher interest rates applied to the money they float for their customers. ADP stock price had quite the run-up during the early part of the Fed tightening cycle, hitting an all-time high in December 2022. But since December, ADP's stock price has been struggling and underperforming the market. It is down 20% in the three months from that high, back to a level it first hit in July of 2021. My question for you is that with future head head hikes coming, or maybe not, do you think ADP still has room to run in this current rate environment, or did ADP sure, stock This is such a great question. The stock ran far. up because as interest rates went up, they made more and more money off the float. What the companies give them the money, they then issue the paychecks to make the money in the interim. But that was then. This is now. People feel there's going to be more layoffs uh, because of what the Fed has done. So the answer is right now, I can't endorse ADP. I feel a little more comfortable with paychecks because small, medium-sized businesses are still doing better. So I'm going to say we have to take a pass on a very good company. Let's go to John in Michigan. John. Hey, Jim. Love your show. I uh, learned a lot from you. Thank you. I was wondering what you thought of AMBAC Financial Group, they're trading at half a book value right now. Right. Well, I think the book is suspect, and I think that the business of guaranteeing is something I never got over as being negative in 2008. Now, they could tell me, Jim, we're not the company you think we are. But you know what? I think when you guarantee anything, you better be paid a lot for it. And if I'm going to get into that game, I'm going to buy what Berkshire Hathaway guarantees. I think they do a better job. All right. What the government did this weekend wasn't perfect, but they did manage to protect depositors and punish executives and spare taxpayers. Not bad. Hey, there's much more mad money had, including my exclusive with Lionel Bazell. Yeah. If they're laying on a new company strategy at Capital Markets Day, which I think, by the way, is very exciting. I'm going to dig in the new plan with the CEO. They pay a very big dividend. Then Meta announced another major headcount reduction. So what has the tech giant figured out that Silicon Valley can't seem to understand or embrace? I'm going to give you my take and all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer.
Can a story company change its stripes? Can a tiger learn new tricks? Can a company that was known as a huge contributor at one point to climate change become a leader in sustainability while somehow also becoming a better business? Well, if you believe Lyndell Bazell, then I think you got a good one here. This is one of the largest chemical companies in the world. Never been on the show. I think the answer may be yes. Earlier today, Lined Up was held a Capital Markets Day event where management introduced a new long-term strategy. It's all about creating solutions for everyday sustainable living. More importantly, they believe they can accelerate growth, expand margins, and improve returns, all the things we really want. I keep telling you that yesterday's cyclical smokestack companies have increasingly embraced secular trends like sustainability. And it's not trust. They mean it. Makes them less susceptible to the economy's boom and bust cycle. Might just be good business. And that sure seems like a good example. So uh, please don't take it from me, though. Let's check in with Peter Vanneker. He's the CEO of Lindell Bazell. Get a breakdown of what's going on at this great company. Mr. Vanneker, welcome to Man Money. Yeah, thank you, Jim, and thanks for inviting me. Of course. Now, I have to tell you, I've long admired your company for its cash generation. It's probably one of the great cash generators. You're in every single business in terms of we all use your product. We may not know that we use it. But I thought the sustainability and recycling business that you're talking about might make it so people can finally understand that you're not just a plain old plastics maker. Yeah, it's a very good question that you're asking. And um, we see ourselves as being a leader in our industry. We see ourselves also as we can make our contribution in helping the planet being a better place by recycling very good carbon that comes out of renewables, that comes out of waste plastic. But why would you be any better than anyone else at recycling? We've had a lot of companies on claim that they're recyclers. Can that be done at scale and also be profitable? It can be done at scale and it can be done profitably to recycle because we see there is a huge demand by the big brands. If it is in the automotive industry, if it is in packaging, if it is in the food industry, they are all asking us the same question. Can you get these products? Can you get them at scale? Can you get them at quality? And can you get them also as fast as possible? Well, at the same time, I wonder if you were not doing that, I'd be talking about your value enhancement program and how China might be, worldwide growth. We need a balance here. If people are obviously interested in your recycling efforts, they do want to know that the core business remains strong. Of course, I mean, our strategy that we communicated today consists out of those different pillars. I mean, the one pillar is we grow and we upgrade the core. Right. So we know what is our core, polyethylene, polypropylene, propylene oxide. These are materials that everybody knows. If you want to reduce the weight of cars, EV cars, you add weight because you want to have, I mean, the batteries in the cars. So you want to make sure that the weight is being reduced, which is ideal for our products to being used. But Peter, let me, let me try to um, figure out the balance here. Uh, I want people to buy the stock because your dividends be great, and you, including a special dividend. And you get paid that while you make this transformation. Isn't that, a, I mean, for individual investors, isn't that a great way to go? Well, we have had a very good track record in also cash generation, very good capital allocation, very good dividends, as you said. Yeah, we did some share buybacks as well. Last year, we did an extra dividend in addition to the increase of our dividend, which is 12 years in a row that we have increased our dividend. We believe that we can actually implement our strategy by having that consistent capital allocation. But for that, I mean, we need to, of course, also focus on really what is core of our business. And as I said, 
The first thing is upgrading the core, growing that, but also building up that circular business and that low-carbon solutions business. Well, one of the reasons why I think you mean business, so to speak, is that we're short refineries in this country. We need refineries. But refineries are dirty business. And here I see you actually selling a refinery, which would make it so that your carbon footprint is smaller. Well, we actually are, yeah, definitely exiting, planning to exit. I mean, our refinery that we have in Houston, it's a very old refinery. But we do believe, I mean, that we have very good people in that refinery on one hand side. On the other hand side, we also have very good equipment. So if we know can turn that into producing the renewable hydrocarbons that are needed to produce, I mean, polyethylene and polypropylene and build that hub between Houston and Channel View where we have a big right. site, that's what I believe is also making a very good contribution I mean, to our society and also is a very good value proposition. You have big business in Europe. Do you think that Europe so-called got lucky because it didn't get cold this year because it could have been a tremendously difficult situation because of Ukraine, Russia. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have a very strong position in Europe and that is a strong position because we are very close, I mean, to the brand owners, very close to the OEMs. Uh, we work closely together, I mean, with the different converters in that industry. And yeah, it has been an extremely difficult year last year, continues to be difficult, but we do believe, I mean, that we see that transitioning in European market towards more circular, more renewable products, right. and that's an opportunity for us. All right, so last question. If you're a younger person out there, always trying to get a little energy, a little dividend, want to get some growth, what would we, if we were here five years from now, be talking about? Would we be spending much more time on recyclables and also mm -hmm. say, listen, we do have this great cash generation? Would that be the theme? Yeah, I think, I mean, transitioning of our business that we have towards more circular and renewable solutions. And by the way, I have a daughter of 23 and I have a son. <laughs> you know, I, more than I came so close to bringing my kids up who always just talk about, Dad, don't have those plastic guys on. So, yes, the next generation you listen to. Yes. And you absolutely, obey. Absolutely. That's what they are asking. These are the questions they are asking. And that's why I know you're going to do it. That's Peter Vanneker. He's Lindell Bezel CEO. In the meantime, guys, huge dividend and a special dividend worth the wait as they transition to a more sustainable future. Everybody's back in. Coming up, what's in your mind, Kramerica? Give us a call. The lightning round is storming the NYSE. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski dad, time for the lightning round. I'm sorry, but Phil in North Carolina. Phil. Jim, how are you doing today? I am doing well, Phil. How about you? I'm, I'm doing okay. I got to tell you, you're like a family member over here. My grandkids, ages 8 to 22, all know you, okay? Uh, My this, is, this is for them. <laughs> What's going on? Yeah, yeah my granddaughter over at Bloomsburg College, which I mentioned to you. She you know I know like, that town. That's where my, my, my uh, track coach went to. What's going on? I need, I need a name. I need a name. Okay, okay. The name, and just give me a second with this. It's out of Billings, Montana, okay? It's a regional. You gave me this stock 13 years ago. First Interstate Bank, okay? Oh, I've got it for 13 yes. years. 5.89%. 
Fisher. I keep it okay, a here's the Here's the problem. We got to tell We got to play it as it is. If two weeks ago I would have said, you know what, I remember it, it looked good. We are now in a zone where I got to do more work. Now, you cannot opine on a bank these days unless you've done some work. So we're going to take a pass on that. I can't just have one call lightning around. That would be a record setter. Let's go to Craig in California. Craig. Hey, Jim. CBS Health Craig. made another 52-week low today. Do you see more yeah. pain ahead? Um, I would like to answer that, but you see, I have to ring a buzzer because the plastic's in front and I can't get the thing open. That's when I try to buy a razor blade there. Um, CVS, I'm going to have to hold off from Opina. I can't Opina until they fix the theft problem because I just ordered batteries from Amazon. They came faster than the person who tried to open the thing. Let's go to Bob in Florida. They did. I'm not kidding. They're faster. Bob in Florida. Bob. Booyah, Jim. Thank you for all you do for us home gamers. Uh, let Thank me ask you, you about Bob. a regional Thank you. bank. A regional bank that has good fundamentals. It's much less volatile than many other banks in the same space. And as Fort said, dividend. I'm asking about your opinion of MNT Bank. Oh, MNT Bank, I like. That's when I looked at. When I looked at these things, I said, oh, man, come on. Will you stop it already? MNT Bank's a very good bank. I, I do like them. Every bank's suspect right now, but I do like them. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, Silicon Valley will never be the same. Zuckerberg, Meta, and a new doctrine for the future. Next. Silicon Valley will never be the same. No, I'm not talking about the demise of Silicon Valley Bank. I'm talking about Silicon Valley as a phenomenal incubator of ideas, fabulous creator of breathtaking hardware and software, and of course, a rapid accumulator of wealth, regardless of the strength or weakness of the broader economy. That Silicon Valley no longer exists. At least that's how I felt when I read Mark Zuckerberg's Meta Platforms Manifesto, the prosaically named update on Meta's year of efficiency that came down from on high today. Zuckerberg lays out a simple doctrine do more and better work in a leaner organization. He's laying off another 10,000 people on top of 11,000 not that long ago. And he's not hiring 5,000 more, (laughs) enabling the company to be more nimble without redundant layers that he regards as blocking efficiency. Zuck uses the words efficiency, efficiently or efficient, 20 times in his four-and-a-half-page memo. I counted it. Let me be clear. That's terrific for shareholders. My travel trust is one. Meta got multiple price target boops and an estimate raise all day, hence why the stock jumped more than 7%, kept gall- rallying and rallying. As Wall Street sees it, if you can cut your workforce by 24% without a similar drop in revenue, you got a bright future with massive earnings down the road called leverage. But we need to think bigger here because Zuckerberg's thinking bigger. I think he did the right thing. He's talking about a world where tech is no longer able to break away from the slings and arrows of a boom and bust economy. When interest rates go up, his business is going to take a hit. And he wants to get ahead of what he fears could be a prolonged period of slower growth. That makes sense. Rational. He's laying off nearly a quarter of his workforce, for heaven's sake. If Amazon were to do that, it would lay off 369,000 people, Alphabet 45,000, Apple 40,000, Microsoft 53,000. It would impact the entire country. Of course, I don't think that's the plan for the other guys. Now, some may say that Zuckerberg, unlike the CEOs of these other companies, has taken a page from Coach Belichick's ruthlessness or maybe Coach Lombardi's playbook, where winning isn't everything. It's the only thing. Bad read of the man. 
Zuckerberg's simply doing what industrial America's done for ages when times get tough. Layoffs, restructurings, reductions in forces, not to mention earnings, uh, to, you know, not to, to just to boost earnings. That's not right. To right-size the enterprise going into a difficult economy to save the institution and have it prosper later. This only stands out because for more than a decade, tech simply outran every economy around the world, generating so much secular growth that they simply couldn't hire enough people to meet demand. That's how all these companies gained so many employees. With every successive Fed tightening, though, Zuckerberg realized that's no longer the case. We're in a new world where Meta is not much different from any of the other old line companies that are constantly letting people go when the economy slows because they can't afford not to. I'm sure the rest of Silicon Valley is shuddering over what the man did today. He defied the tech orthodoxy that you can ignore everything around you because that orthodoxy has become lethal. Take enterprise software. Right now, there are about 50 publicly traded enterprise software companies, and they're almost universally loved. There are another 500 enterprise software companies that are technically in the queue to come public. Enterprise software has become the premier league of tech, the ones everyone wants to watch worldwide. I think if Wall Street recognizes the new reality, most of these cloud software plays and this enterprise software would either fail or be forced to merge. They could end up looking like GitLab, once a loved stock, which reported last night, saying the economy's hurting their numbers and the stock plunged nearly 24%. I want you to get used to these kinds of declines from unprofitable tech companies. This is now an industry where if you don't get lean, you'll struggle to stay afloat. While we think of other Silicon Valley, the other Silicon Valley bank right now, we recognize and see that it incubated a ton of what I think were dubious companies, somewhat akin to what happened in the dot-com bubble. Many made it to the promised land by becoming public, causing a spike of inflation that's a major driver of the Fed's fight against an overheated economy. I now expect this industry to be decimated, in part because other executives seem unwilling to embrace the Zuckerberg ethos. The institution must prevail. They're all confident that business is about to come back no matter what. They are, in a word, fools. As are many of their cloud-based, analytics-fueled, artificial intelligence-pretending powered compadres. Zuckerberg, at one time considered among the most immature of big tech executives, has matured right along with this company. If you aren't efficient, you're not going to make it. And many of these tech companies wouldn't know the difference between an efficient company and an efficiency, where their employees might soon be living and pretending to work from home, while Meta's people prosper at the office. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find you just right here on Mad Money. I'm Drew Kramer. Last call starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.